Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Uh, We're going to be beginning in chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16, Uh, so if you would join in following along as we read God's word together. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. As we sang that we believe in the communion of saints and in your holy church, we pray that we would not only believe it, but live it. And we thank you for the communion of saints. We thank you, Lord, that you have saved us that you have adopted us into a family. Lord, you have made it so those who are fatherless have a father in you. You have made it so those who are without brother or sister or mother have all of that in your family. be able to call upon you as Father, to be able to know Christ as Savior and brother, and to be kept by the Spirit, and to have His company. Lord, we thank you for all these things, and may they show up in our lives. And so in the next few minutes, Lord, I pray that your word would humble sinners, it would exalt the Savior, and it would promote holiness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Imagine 
There is no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Ah, imagine. There's no countries. It's not hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion, too. Imagine all the people living in peace. You, you may say, I'm a dreamer, but I am not the only one. I hope someday you will join us, and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing, all the world. You may say, I am a dreamer, but I am not the only one. I hope someday you will join us and the world will live as one. Thus John Lennon's magnum opus on peace and unity in the world. Now, I don't pick on this song. Uh, if you like this song, it's, not, it's okay. If you like John Lennon's Imagine, uh, I don't want to quote that this morning and open up my sermon with that to, uh, to make you feel shame that you like that song, but I just wanted to use that as a kind of platform into our text on unity this morning. Because what we have in Ephesians 4, 1-16 and a song like Imagine is we have uh, the same thing being promoted and prioritized, but two very different, radically different views on how to achieve those. Unfortunately, for Lennon's song Imagine, it prioritizes and it promotes unity, but there is no explicit way of achieving that unity. Uh, it is a song that uh, is, uh, is filled with, with good sentiment and a notion of something that Christ has created within his people, within the church, but there's no real way of actually achieving it. So we can sing it, we can like it, we could even, it could spark some hope in movements when it's sung by 25 different celebrities. Uh, and you can look that up on YouTube if you want. And, and so we could sing it all day long, but at the end of the day, if there's no definition of unity and if there is no way of achieving that unity, all it is is words. Empty, fluffy, sentimental words about unity. No way to achieve it, no way to actually grasp it, and no way to actually live it out. But Paul in Ephesians 4, 1-16, through doesn't only prioritize and promote the unity within the body of Christ, he actually gives us a blueprint on how to actually be unified. He actually gives us a way for us to move forward and to live with one another um, in the community, in the communion of saints, uh, he has given us a way to be able to achieve this. So while the church is to prioritize and promote unity, it is not with just songs, it is not with mere sentiment, it is not with uh, good feelings or good vibes sending to one another. Um, the unity that we are to prioritize and promote um, is rooted in God, and we're going to get to that here in a minute, but we are to prioritize unity in the church, but we're not to do it with just mere words there are three ways that I think Paul is showing us here that we actually prioritize unity. So the main idea of today's message is prioritize unity in the church. Prioritize unity in the church. How do we 
prioritize unity in the church? That's the question uh, that I want us to ask and that I think the text answers for us. So the first way that we prioritize unity in the church is by working at our unity. By working at our unity. If you look at verses 1 through 6 with me, Paul says that, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling uh, to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The first thing we have to realize about biblical Christ-centered unity is that it takes work. I mean, that is just the plain, evident truth here, and we can look all over the Bible, but I think we have enough here in verses 1 through uh, 3 uh, that Paul is saying that unity, the unity that we have been given is a real reality, but it also requires real work. So Paul begins in verse 1. Notice here, he says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. Now Paul has already described himself as a prisoner for the Lord in chapter 3, verse 1. If you remember, he says, uh, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now is Paul being redundant here? Why would he repeat himself? Uh, why would he remind the churches in Asia Minor that he is a prisoner on behalf or a prisoner for the Lord? Well, I think it's, it's, it's helpful for us to remember why Paul is in prison in the first place. What landed him in the position that he's in? And if, we, if you remember a couple weeks ago uh, that I had mentioned when we first started the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing from prison because Paul was in prison because he was associating with a Gentile around the temple in Jerusalem. And that is what landed him where he's at. What landed Paul in prison was the fact that he was promoting and prioritizing the unity that his Gentile brother, Trophimus the Ephesian, actually, if you read uh, Acts 21 through 22, you can read all about this. Uh, what Paul was doing is he was keeping and prioritizing the unity of the faith by associating and fellowshipping with somebody who the, uh, who the Jewish community thought unclean. Now imagine you're hanging out with someone who has just come to faith in Christ or you're hanging and they're not like you, they don't look like you, they don't look like your friends and so another group of Christians is over here and, and they are uh, slandering you and, and accusing you of wrongdoing for prioritizing that unity by simply associating with that other person. That's essentially what's happening here and what landed Paul in prison. And so I think it's important, the reason why Paul reminds the uh, churches in Asia Minor that he's a prisoner for the Lord, because it shows us that unity is costly. Right? You don't just get unity by singing about unity. Now, we have unity in Jesus, but that lived out, that prioritized and promoted, actually might cost us something. Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. In other words, he is saying, I am a prisoner because the thing that I'm about to tell you to prioritize and to work at is the very thing that's landed me in prison. Paul knew no bounds when it came to keeping the unity of the church. Nothing was too far for Paul. He could be stripped of his freedom in order to demonstrate and prioritize the reality of the unity that he had with this Gentile brother in the faith. And so we have to ask ourselves here, uh, where are we 
willing to prioritize and promote the unity of the church? Are we willing to actually go so far as Paul here and being a prisoner, losing freedom, losing... Here's the problem uh, with our church in the current culture that we're in right now. It's all about us. I don't think the unity um, is being destruct, uh, destroyed. The unity of the church is not being maintained because of denominations, because of other teachers, because of, all the, because of the government or whatever it is. I don't think the unity of the church is, at, um, is being assaulted because of um, theological differences or anything like that. I think what it is, is primarily is this individualistic um, idea of the self and of how we're to live our lives. It's like we want to be saved and we want to be a part of the church, but we really don't want to give up any type of freedom freedom. It's all about us. It's about our rights. It's about what I believe in my opinion. And who cares if it offends you? Who cares if it upsets you? Uh, Who cares um, if what I say makes you uncomfortable? And so what we need to remember is that being in the communion of saints sometimes means being uncomfortable and in positions where you have to set aside preference and opinion and actually step aside for the other person and put yourself in a position that you might not want to be in but you're going to be in it because the unity of the faith demands it. Because the church is more important than your preference and it's more important than your opinion and it's more important than any other secondary, tertiary issue that you could bring to the table. It's more important than any of these things because Jesus died so we could have this unity. So we could actually get along and be with one another. So the idea that we would move out, that we would stay away from another brother or sister in the faith, that we would just uh, hop to the next church, or that we would not come because we're not getting our way, or because this person said this, or this person said that, um, what we're saying effectively is that what Jesus died for is of no value. And my preference and my way of life and my thinking is more important and more of value uh, than this brother or sister next to me. Paul did not know a Christianity that was not costly. He did not know a Christianity that didn't involve self-denial. You want to know why? Because Jesus told his disciples that to follow him meant to deny themselves and to pick up their cross and follow him. And so what Paul is doing, he's just living out the commands of Jesus in the context of the communion with the saints. And so I think we have to remember that this working at unity is going to cost us something. If you are not feeling the cost of discipleship in the context of the communion of the saints, then I have to wonder, um, are you actually living out the faith and trying to work at maintaining the unity of the faith, or are you just trying to reap all the benefits? Paul reminds us here in verse 1 that he is a prisoner for the Lord, and therefore a prisoner on behalf of the Gentiles, and therefore, by reason, a prisoner because he is promoting and prioritizing the unity of the faith. And then he continues in verse 2. So we move past Paul's position as a prisoner. I love how Paul does not call the church to do something he's not already doing himself. He says, I urge you 
to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So remember, we don't create unity. Uh, we maintain the unity. The unity is already in Jesus. It's been given to us, and our job is to keep it and to work at it. Uh, notice, how, notice all of the ways that Paul says to work at this unity here in verse 2. With hu- all humility and with all gentleness and with patience. Sometimes, I was reading this this week, and I thought to myself, man, that sounds like a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work to, um, to exercise humility and gentleness, It's a lot of work uh, to be patient, to bear with one another in love. Paul is assuming that this is going to be difficult. Or if if it wasn't difficult, he wouldn't say, hey, bear with one another in love. He assumed there was going to be stuff to bear. He assumed that the brother or sister that you're in close proximity to, uh, Sunday in and Sunday out, week week by week, there is going to be um, difficulty and, and, and just stuff to bear with that other person. And so unity, maintaining and prioritizing unity actually takes work. But notice, notice verse 2 and verse 3. Because this is not a white knuckle your way through this kind of work. I mean, when Paul is saying, hey, work at the unity of the faith, he's not saying, hey, muster up all the strength that you have and just grind through it. And, and just, and just you, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you work as best you can. Notice, um, if verses 2 and verses 3 should be familiar. When Paul mentions humility and gentleness and patience and love and peace, our minds should immediately be thinking of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes in Galatians 5, 22 uh, through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, we work at maintaining unity in the Spirit by the Spirit. It's not by our own efforts. It's not by uh, our own ability or capacity. I mean, some of you guys are probably thinking, yeah, but you don't understand how annoying the person sitting next to me is on a weekly basis or every Sunday. You don't understand that person's opinions or thoughts or ideas, how they really just get at the core of who I am. They, uh, they use up all my patience and all my humility. They take it all from me. They just grab and grab and grab. And look, the good news is, is that might be true, but Paul says you're not doing it by your own capacity or, or ability. You're doing it by the Spirit of God. Paul says, when he says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, he's, he assumes that his readers understand that this, these are all gifts of the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God fell on the early church, there was a radical change. There was a radical difference uh, in their approach to people and life, and they realized they had a power within them. They had the ability to endure with one another, not because of them, but because of what they've been given in the Spirit. And so when, I, when Paul writes here, uh, essentially to work at the unity and to maintain it and to keep it and to shape it and to cultivate it, he's not saying that you have to do this on your own. He's saying, look, the Spirit of God that indwells every single one of us is about this work. 
mean, that's the, like, you want to know what the will of God is for your life. Well, then just open up the scriptures and say, hey, uh, okay, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Well, what's your calling? Maintain the unity of the faith. Be a part of the local church. Don't hop around from church to church to church because you feel like someone has offended you or made you, or doesn't believe the same way you do. What is that all about? We maintain the unity of the Spirit by the Spirit. And that means we have to pray in the Spirit oftentimes, Lord, I have no idea how to handle this. I have no, the, the humility that Paul calls for is the kind of humility that says, I, I'm not God, but God is God. And I may not know what to do or how to approach this or how to, how to work this out or how to navigate this or wade through the waters of this issue or this person. I, I don't know how to do this. But the answer is not bailing out and leaving and finding another place where I can feel comfortable that doesn't cost me anything. The answer is saying, Lord, I don't know, but you know. You know. So it is by the Spirit that we work at the unity of the faith. And just, just so uh, we are kind of letting Scripture interpret Scripture here, you might say, well, I don't know if maintaining the unity of the faith takes a lot of work. Well, 1 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul writes to the church, says, remembering, he's praying for the church, he says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. All throughout the New Testament, you see this labor of love among the churches. You see the churches bearing each other's burdens. You see them working at what they've been given. Uh, because when you are given this new life in Jesus, when you've been given everything we've already preached and read in verse, uh, chapters 1 through 3, it, it's, it's not assumed that you just have it all figured out and everything is going to be smooth sailing. No, sanctification, that process of becoming more like Jesus, especially with other people, uh, that looks a little bumpy, it looks a little awkward, it looks a little messy, and it looks like a lot of will you forgive me, and will you, um, will you be willing to go that mile with me? It looks like that. It looks like labor. It looks like rolling up your sleeves. I mean, some of you guys work in agricultural work. Just imagine, right? Uh, that, that is what it looks like. Planting, sowing, reaping, uh, tilling, cultivating, making sure things are right. That is what is required to maintain the unity of the faith. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, I, I called my mentor up a couple weeks ago to tell him how easy marriage has been. And, um, and, 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 I, and I said, he made a great point. And I didn't tell him how easy marriage was, by the way. I, that was a joke. That, um, but he, he said, you know, when you become one, you know, when you take your vows and, and the whole idea of marriage is to become one with the other person, a lot of people assume that oneness just kind of like when you make your vows and you become one and because it's declared over you that you are now one flesh, right, with each other, that it's just going to be, everything is just going to feel one. It's just going to feel like unity, right? And, and if any of you guys have been married for more than an hour, you understand that that unity, right, that oneness that you're actually called to and that you've been given Right? You don't have to create it. it that's, that's why the whole notion of like, you know, splitting apart because you don't have anything common is just, it, just it, it's ridiculous because the commonness you have, if you've made a covenant, is Christ. Anyway, that's a different sermon. Um, but what, what I'm saying is that the unity has to be worked at every single day. 
every day, every moment, every second. You wake up and you say, this, has been, this unity has been given to me, but it also has to be worked out. I have to steward it. I have to make it fruitful and multiply. And so when it comes to the communion of saints, when it comes to the unity of the faith, we're called to maintain it, maintain the unity of the Spirit by the Spirit, by praying in the Spirit. And if you look in verse 4, not only in that, Paul gives us a rich supply of how to do this. Right? It's, again, not about us, not in our own strength, not in our giftedness, although we're going to get to giftedness here soon. Um, Paul says in verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Have you notice something here? Do you see a trend playing out in Ephesians? Most of Paul's prayers and most of, and the, the, the framework of salvation we saw in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, it's all framed in a Trinitarian framework. It's always God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You are adopted by God the Father. You're saved by the Son. You're sealed by the Spirit. Um, and Paul is praying and inviting the church to know more of that, for our hearts to be expanded, we looked at last week, to have Christ dwell in our hearts in faith. Right. So what Paul is doing all throughout this letter is he's framing everything that we are, all of our identity and all that we do, on the basis of the nature of God. He says there's one Spirit. And you look at one Lord, Christ as Lord, one God and Father of all. So Paul is saying, not only are you doing this by the Spirit, but look to, look to the nature of God. You're doing this by the very nature. You know God, and God knows you, and God has revealed himself as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and that is such a beautiful mystery that's not meant to be figured out, but it's meant to be lived out. You ask, like, all right, well, how does Father, Son, Holy Spirit work? How does the, um, the, uh, how does the triune God, the one in three, and three in one, or as Athanasius put it in the Athanasius Creed, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, how does that all work out? I don't know. But I know it's meant to be lived out. I know it's supposed to be worked out in our lives. And I know it's supposed to be worked out in our churches and put on display for the entire world to see within this community that has been saved and redeemed and ransomed by a triune God. Trinity is just supposed to be lived out of us. Unity is based on the unity of God. Jesus prays in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, he prays for the believers. He doesn't only pray for the disciples, but he prays for those who will be his disciples. In other words, us. And he prays, Father, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me. Catch that. The unity, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Jesus is praying for the unity based on the unity he has with his Father. That's the kind of unity 
that we're called to. That's the kind of unity we're called to work out. And we don't work it out by our own cap capabilities, but we work it out by the Spirit of God and the triune nature of God working in us. Notice Paul says uh, that uh, there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And you might be thinking, all? Even that person that I kind of like second guess if God is working at all in? All? Yes, Paul says all. That means the person that you struggle most to actually get along with or talk to or love or serve, that means the same God that's in you and filling you to serve and love them is the same God working in them and working out their issues. I mean, I think we would have much more grace on each other if we just realized that the same God that has grace for my sins and my failings and my shortcomings is the same God that's working through the, same per or the other person that has the shortcomings and failings that I get annoyed and bothered by. So it is vital that we remember as we work at the unity of faith that we do it by the Spirit of God and in light of the nature of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So that's the first way that we work at unity. The second way that we work at unity, or that we prioritize unity, sorry, um, is by working towards our unity in the church. So we work at it, and then we work towards it. Look at verse 7. 7 through 14. <laughs> but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. All right, let's break that down a little bit. So Paul moves from working at unity by the Spirit to working towards unity by the Spirit. If you notice there in verse 2, Paul said to maintain. And now we're looking at, if you look at verse 13, just kind of scroll down just a little bit. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So which is it? Do we have the unity of the faith? Or do we have to attain to the unity of the faith? Yes. <laughs> it's both. We work at it, we maintain it, and we attain it. And Paul illustrates this here in kind of a dense, uh, complex way, unfortunately, like Paul always does, making my job a little bit more difficult throughout the week. But I'm just going to state it plainly, because he illustrates this. If you notice in, in verse 7, it moves from the unity that we're called to maintain to, to now the, the tools we've been given to attain to it, right? He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, that's... Uh, self-explanatory, God has given grace, a uh, measure of grace or gifts to each one of us in order to work towards this unity. But then he quotes uh, Psalm 68, 18 here in verse 8. So Paul says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Psalm 68, 18 reads, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. 
even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. So if, if you pay close attention, or if you were listening to that at all, you might have alarm bells going off in your head, because in Psalm 68, 18, the psalmist writes that the, that the one who led the host of captives is the one who received gifts among them. But Paul quotes Psalm 68, 18 here, and now he reverses it, and he says that he gave gifts to men. So what's happening here? Well, I don't want to you know, drag in a whole academic scholarly debate into the pulpit because I don't want to bore you, and I have to wrap up here pretty soon. So all I'm going to say is that Psalm, what Paul is doing here with the scripture of Psalm 68:18 is he's using a common, uh, he's using the word, and he's using uh, something that would have been common in ancient Israel whenever uh, another king rose to power, and it's actually a common practice today, but when another king or another kingdom rises up to power, the surrounding nations and all of the, the army and the people that helped that king uh, rise to power, they would give gifts to that king. Psalm 68 is all about a, it's a political psalm. It's about an Israelite king rising to the throne in power. And as he builds and accomplishes his kingdom, uh, what is happening is people are giving him gifts. You think about the queen of the south when Solomon was king, actually gave gifts to Solomon. That was a common practice. And what Paul is doing is he's taking that text and he's reversing it because the kingdom of Jesus works a little bit differently than the kingdom of man. And so the conquered king or the, the conquering king that ascended after his resurrection doesn't receive gifts from men because he owns everything, but in turn he gives gifts to men. The way Jesus is building his kingdom and his church is through the gifts that he gives to his people. So Paul uses this idea in this passage in Psalm 68, 18 in order to illustrate, look, the way the church is going to be built, the way the kingdom is going to be advanced, is by each and every single one of the saints operating in servant service with their gift. Paul lists off some of the gifts here. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So he lists off all the teaching offices of the church. And no, I personally do not believe apostles like the Apostle Paul or the Twelve are in operation today. I'm not saying, hey, if you're an apostle, maybe you should operate in that way. Um, uh, but Paul is saying, look, the church has been built. And we saw this earlier, that's been built on the apostles and the, t- and the apostles' teachings, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and the teachers. This is not an exhaustive lift- list of gifts, because you might be sitting here thinking, well, that's all well and good, but I'm not a teacher. I'm not a pastor. I can't do what you're doing up here. Don't worry, I can barely do what I'm doing up here. Um, but it's, it's, it's okay that this list it doesn't include uh, maybe your gifting, because there are other passages in Scripture that has a host of lists of gifts that God has given to his people. It's not whether you have one of them or not. It's which one do you have. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 29-30, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And obviously those are rhetorical questions that were meant to be in response, No. But if you, and I won't read this, I won't make you turn to it, but if you have time later on, read 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, and Romans 12, 4 through 8. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, and Romans 12, 4 through 8. Because what Paul does in those passages is he lists out the gifts that the Spirit has given to each individual saint. Again, it's not a question of if you have a gift, it's which one do you have. And that is why it's vital uh, that you're active 
in the life of the church because that gift promotes and attains to the unity. I mean, after he lists those gifts in verses 11 through 12, and it's assumed that the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11 and Romans 12, 4 through 8 are also included into the attaining of the unity of the body, right? It is by that gift that we're going to attain to the unity of the faith and look, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood or whatever, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal of the church, the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. We don't get to that goal individually or without this person whose gift seems subpar to the gift of preaching or the gift of uh, you know, uh, you know, teaching or shepherding or leadership or whatever, or zeal. Everything that, everything that you have as a person in the body of Christ is meant to serve to the fullness of the stature of the fullness of Jesus. We become robust theologians together, right? I've said this in this series before. The being a theologian, being a, a disciple of Jesus, understanding the love of Jesus, his person, his work, is not reserved for the seminaries and the places that I dwell Monday through Friday. It is for the church. It's for us. You're no less a theologian. You're no less a, a, a disciple than the one who's written all the books and the commentaries and the one who preaches. Your job is not to be like the other person next to you or to operate in the same way. It's to ask God by the Spirit in humility, God, what is my gift and how am I using that gift? Am I using that gift to serve the church, your people, so we all attain to the unity of the faith and we all attain to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ? Or am I operating in selfishness, right, and reserving my gifts or service for only when things are going my way? Or for only when it's convenient for me? Jesus gave you a gift not to glorify you, but to glorify him and to nourish his church. I wish we had time to get into all the details of, of, of these verses here, but I've got to wrap up and I want to be able to get to the third point here. And notice that when this happens, when you operate the life of the church, if you want a church that doesn't backslide into um, some false worldview or stops preaching the gospel, then look, if a church that goes into that is, is because the members stopped being active in it. People stopped caring, right? You know what's beautiful about uh, me being up here preaching uh, you know, every Sunday for this summer is that the church gets to decide if they he stop hearing the gospel preached, the word of God preached, you guys get to decide that guy's not preaching anymore, which means you're building the church and keeping it from being tossed to and fro by every waves and wind of doctrine, right? So you're vital, you're important and significant. Even if you don't preach, even if you don't lead worship, even if you don't lead a Bible study, you're part of God's process for his church. And Paul says that keeps a church strong. That keeps a church standing on the rock, and it keeps it from swerving from every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So we work at our unity. We work towards our unity by the gifts of Jesus. And lastly, we work out our unity, verses 15 through 16. And I'll make this one quick. Rather, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, 
into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice Paul writes in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. Our unity is tied to what is true and not what is false. So a lot of the times our working out of unity requires us to be able to look at one another and just be honest. Just be honest with one another. You see a brother or sister walking in sin, be honest enough with them to call it out. You're struggling with anxiety, depression, whatever, doubt, whatever. You know, the last thing you want to do is come into this sanctuary and say, man, I'm doing great. The church should be a place where truth is spoken in love. And that's how we work out our unity, right? I mean, you, if, you want, uh, if you want to be fit or, you know, get muscles or whatever, I mean, not a lot of people are into that, but like if you, like, like if you want to get your physical goals, right, you go to a gym or you run or you work out or you do something to grow that. Right? And that can take work. And that can take doing... It, it, you're, you're, you're constantly working out something. And so Paul is saying essentially that as we speak the truth and love to one another, we grow up. He's using that terminology quite a bit here. And working properly. When all when we're held together and when we're working in a way that Jesus has called us to work with one another... We are working out that unity. If we have to work out our salvation, Paul writes in Philippians 2.12, if we're called to work out our, our salvation, how much more so are we called to work out our unity with one another? You guys are probably thinking, well, this is a lot of work. Yeah, it's quite a bit of work. But we're not doing it by ourselves. We're doing it with the triune God who is himself unity. We're doing it by the Spirit that indwells each and every single one of us. We're doing it by the God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. And so, in other words, this is not an impossible task. It's not. We can do, this, is, this gets real practical here. We don't have to sing songs that sound good. We can actually do this. We can actually be a united church. And united churches don't look like uniformity. They don't look like non-diversity because, look, we have a diversity of gifts and callings and roles and operations. But it does look like, but that does look like working at it, towards it, and working it out with one another. And it's a continual process. I'll wrap up by noting one thing here. And uh, if we look at chapter 2, if we kind of backtrack in verse 21, Paul says, in whom the whole structure, he's talking about the church, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built. In other words, this is an unfinished building. I'm not talking about the physical building, but I'm talking about the church, the spiritual body of Jesus. It's not finished yet. And so as long as it's not finished, and as long as uh, we have not attained to the fullness of the stature of Jesus, to his measure, to his perfection, to his beauty and glory uh, and his fullness, until we get there, we're going to be working this out every single day of the week, every Sunday. And Jesus is at the center of this all. Look, unity was paid for by the one who for a second on the cross experienced disunity with the Father that he's always had for eternity. 
This is not something that we can just kind of do away with or it's secondary or we can just kind of decide when we're going to work at it. Look, Jesus was separated from the Father. The only time he was ever separated from his Father on the cross so that you and I could be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. The unity was paid by Jesus experiencing the most excruciating thing that the second person of the Trinity could ever experience and that is separation from the Father. And you and I have been given reconciliation to the Father through the Son with one another. And it was paid by a high cost. And so the least we can do is just work at what's already been given to us as a free gift. It is Christ who saves us. And it is Christ who sanctifies us. And it's Jesus that's going to be holding this whole project together. From start to finish, it's all about him. It's all about what he's done. It's all about what he's doing in us. To him be the glory. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before him with great joy. Jude 24. So as we go out this week, let us work at this. Let us work towards it. And let us work it out with one another. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the communion of saints and its richness and its fullness and how you have equipped each and every single one of us to attain uh, to the fullness of the stature of Jesus. Lord, it is so easy for us to get bent out of shape and uh, discouraged and sad and down because we're not measuring up, but we're trying to measure up outside of the body. Lord, help us to really be united, to really be in fellowship with one another so that we might grow, that we might be rock solid, that we might be planted firmly in the truth. Lord, I pray that you would do this work among us as we work it out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.com or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.